0: the The mother was a faithful member of my church in Indiana. The father had recently completed adult instruction class. The father was an electronic repairman. He was found dead in his garage while attempting to repair a broken microwave, leaving a young mother and three small boys. Why would a loving God a law of suffering. One of my best friends through college and seminary years, a friend who was in Fay in my wedding, contacted a disease that crippled his body, limited his personal vision to be a pastor, like his grandfather was, like his father was, like all of his five brothers were, a godly family, faithful to God, faithful to his church, real servants of Jesus Christ, Why would a loving God allow suffering? Why? In the years of pastoral ministry, there have been hundreds of times I've asked the question that I'd like to talk with you about today. Why does God allow suffering? You've been there. I've been there. And when you're going through those dark, difficult, black, bleak experiences of life, there are times... When we're going through those times, we kind of know the answer. There are times when we don't really know the answer until months afterwards. There are times when the answer doesn't come for years. And there are times when the answer never comes this side of heaven. That's why the Apostle Paul said, we look through a glass darkly. It is impossible for us to see all, to know all, to sense all, and to understand all. One thing I have learned and we stay with confidence. And I realize that some of you are now going through some difficult times in your own lives. And although we may not understand it, we can draw some lessons of truth from it. So it's my desire not to answer every question that you have entered your mind. But let me today give you six minutes or maybe 16 minutes. And for some of you, is your greatest suffering. Let me share with you eight lessons that we learn in suffering from the Bible. Take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you. Number one, the first lesson my God would sometimes allow suffering in our lives. In your notes is to stretch believers for growth. Yeah, to stretch believers for growth. This is an enlargement and a stretching in our spiritual life when we go through suffering. Look at James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance finishes work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, in your notes, the greatest problems—the greatest problems bring the greatest possibilities for growth. That's a biblical truth taught from Genesis to Revelation. The greatest problems bring the greatest possibilities. Look at Psalm 4, verse 1: "God enlarge me." When I was in what? In distress. In fact, it's those very times of difficulties, those darkest of days, that we seek more of God. We seek more to draw closer to God. We seek to know God better. And therefore, God is able to stretch us for growth. It's that stretching experience that all of us go through because of suffering and difficult trials that allow us to have the capacity for growing. Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians how some 30 different things like afflictions, distresses, turmoil, dishonor, chastening, discipline, sorrow, all are part of enlarging our hearts for ministry so that we have a greater capacity to serve. Number two, the second reason we suffer in your notes, discipline the believer, to discipline the believer. Some suffering is for our own discipline and correction. Look at Hebrews 12:5 to 11, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addressed you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves, He punishes everyone He has accepts as a son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children, not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who discipline us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the Hebrew writer gives us three proofs to show that discipline comes from the heart of God's love. Number one, you know that discipline comes from God's heart because then you know scripture says it. The scriptures say it. Number two, you know that discipline comes from God's heart Because personal experiences will tell us. Personal experiences tell us that. The Hebrew writer tells us that our earthly parents discipline us so that we can become better children. Number three, we know that discipline comes from God's heart because the results show us. Yeah, the results actually show us. Verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. We have to stop there. Can you agree with that, writer? Can you say yes? Certainly Discipline is painful. When you see a Christian going through a discipline. When they act like. Oh everything is just great. There's no pain. It really doesn't hurt. They're just not being real. They're pretending. You don't have to pretend. Discipline does hurt. It is painful. Difficulties are not pleasant at the time. Hebrew writer says. Later on however. It produces a harvest. Those are the results. A harvest of righteousness and peace. Number three. Thirdly, in your notes, we learn loving God allows suffering to provide a witness to non-believers. When we suffer correctly, it becomes a powerful witness to the unchurched. Paul, who is in prison, affirms this. Look at Philippians 1 verses 12 and 13 in the back of your notes. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ what has served what has served to advance the gospel Paul is saying the fact that he's in prison that he's being persecuted there that itself has advanced the gospel and as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I'm in chains for the, Jesus Christ so I want you to circle that word advance the word advance there is a military term it literally means an army corps He goes ahead of the rest of the army, clearing the way, moving out of the obstructions. So, Paul is saying that the fact that he is in change, for some strange reason, God has allowed as an advance to prepare the way for the gospel for those who are coming behind. Do I like to be in prison? Paul would say, No. But is it good? Paul would say, Yes. So, let me ask you a question. If things are going good, you're smiling. What is the difference between you and the non-believer? Probably none. Because when things are going well, for them, they are smiling too. Let me ask you another question. When things are going bad, you complain, you get down on yourself. What's the difference between you and the non-believer? The answer probably is none. They do the same. But thirdly, what happens when you're going through sufferings and you're going through trials of life and you show a maturity and you're not complaining, your head is up, Suddenly the world is looking at you because this is not the natural worldly response to any suffering. And Jesus gets the glory. Number four. The fourth reason why a loving God allows suffering to take the Christian to heaven. Yeah, to take a Christian home to heaven. Suffering is sometimes the entry door to our promised land. We kind of come into this world suffering. We go out of this world suffering. Let's look at Philippians 1, verses 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have the sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. A very early Greek scholar, Aristides, in one hundred twenty five AD, was trying to explain, was trying to explain the success of Christianity in the world. He said, if any righteous man among the Christians passes from the world, they rejoice. They offer thanks to God. They are to escort the body with songs and with thanksgiving as if they were setting out from one place to another nearby. And that's exactly what happens. A great story is told about a lady who was terminally ill. Her pastor came to see her, and she wanted to go help make her funeral arrangements. What songs were to be sung? What scriptures were to be read, things that would give a witness to her Savior, Jesus. Then she looked at her pastor and said in closing, Oh, there are two more things, pastor. Very quickly, when they put me in the casket, be sure they put a Bible in one hand and a fork in the other? Are you curious? Well, the pastor understood the Bible. He said, I understand the Bible because it's been your source of guidance for many years. But you must explain to me the fork. She says, oh, that's very simple, Pastor. We have these great church suppers. I love these suppers, the fellowship. And they're like, what heaven is like, what's going to be like. But you know, when they start cleaning up after that supper, I always like it when the waiter leans over to your, keep your fork, there's something good coming. The best is yet to come. I know that means the dessert is on its way. It's not going to be jello either because you don't eat jello with a fork. It's going to be that good German chocolate cake or cherry pie. It's going to be good. When people see that fork in my hand, you tell them, Pastor. It's there because for them, too, the best is yet to come. Number five, a fifth lesson. A loving God allows suffering in your nose to develop my ability to minister to those who are suffering. To develop my ability to minister to those who are suffering. See, when we suffer, it allows us to be more effective. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I'm convinced that Christians who experience suffering really do develop their ability to minister to those who are suffering. Number six, loving God through suffering desires in your nose to remove all cause for boasting. Yet to remove cause for boasting. See, we sometimes have to go through suffering so that we are stripped from our own self righteousness and self reliance, our own tendency to boast. Look at Second Corinthians twelve verse seven, where Paul writes To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassing great revelations, there has been given to me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. A.W. Tozer writes in your notes, it's doubly doubtful that God, doubtful that God can use any man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God sometimes permits suffering into our lives to help remind us we are truly dependent upon him. I don't know how arrogant you are or your state of mind might be. I want to tell you something. Read my lips. You and I are only one telephone call Away from the doctor who says, the x-rays are showing something, let's talk. We absolutely have no clue, no security in this life. When we suffer, God removes from us all cause for boasting. God helps us to remove the plastic and the dross in our lives. God helps us to know that every breath we have today is truly a gift from God. The message of the cross and of Easter is about the death in this world, about life eternal when we die. We believe in Jesus as our Savior who died on the cross and arose for us from the grave. By the grace of God, we are given a free gift of heaven. There's no boasting about it. Number seven, suffering helps us in your notes to purify your Christian faith. Suffering helps to purify your Christian faith. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while You may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, trials will prove your faith is worth more than gold. Trials will show that you will be given praise, honor, when Jesus returns. Number eight, finally, in your notes, God allows suffering God allows suffering to mobilize the church. Loving God allows suffering to mobilize his church into action. Looking at 1 Corinthians 12. So, there, so that there should be no division in the body, that its parts should have equal concerns for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So suffering is a way of bonding. Bonding believers together. And in the great persecutions of the church, during periods of great trials, the church has been aroused to its most effective witnessing, most effective sacrificial giving for the cause of Christ's kingdom. You know, during the Great Depression, we are told, giving of our Lutheran church was at a greater percentage of income than it is today. Trials and difficulties will mobilize the church. So in conclusion, when do you pray the most? When things are going well, when you're sick, or when you have difficult days. Of course, we pray more when days get tough. Isn't that right? God, our Heavenly Father, invites us to pray. Because through Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, God's incredible love for us allows good to come through suffering. In our suffering, we have always before us. We have before us a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who gave his life for us. Let that be your ultimate source of comfort, strength, and hope. Amen.